That was awesome. Thank you. This morning, I want to talk to you about arguably the largest rescue mission in the history of the world. Two million people that were held captive against their will. One man was sent in to go get them. He didn't have any atomic weapons. He didn't have an M16. He just had an order from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, speak clearly this morning in spite of me. Amen. Thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. Depending on what version you read it in, Psalm 77, verse 13, very clear. Thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. And they needed a way because these people were in trouble. They were acting like knuckleheads, not just for a couple of months, not just for a couple of years, but for decades, and had gotten themselves in trouble. And now they were slaves in Egypt. And God was going to get his people out, so he asked a man named Moses to go get them out. You've heard the story before, or you've seen the movie, or you've heard someone talking about it, but he went in, his brother came with him, right? He had a stick, and he went, and he he got them out. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about God's way in the sanctuary, and and hopefully this will all make sense, and I've, I've, I've asked for some people to help, uh, but let me ask you some questions. Hopefully this will be uh, and, and hopefully you're okay with this. This will be somewhat interactive. I'm going to move around a little bit because I've, I've never been able to be quiet or sit still, so you're stuck with that this morning. Um, but I want to ask you some questions, a little trivia this morning. What was the, the, maybe the final act that happened that allowed these roughly 2 million people to leave Egypt? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, all the firstborn died. What did we call that? Remember what that was called? The Passover, that's right. We have somebody in the congregation. This is how it's going to go this morning. I've already asked some people to read Scripture. When I call out that Scripture, you're going to stand up and as loud as you... Well, not as loud as you can go, but nice and loud and clear. I want you to read this Scripture uh, that you were asked to, to read. Exodus 12, 3 through 7. I think that's Rachel, right? No. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Thank you, Katie. Don't sit down. Come on up. Um, So what happened first? I'm going to have you stand right here, please. What happened first that allowed them to leave? 
a lamb was killed, correct? And you had to make a decision. Were you going to allow the blood of this lamb to represent you or not? And if so, you wanted to be in that house. Don't leave that house because when the angel of death came, he passed over that, ha- that house because the blood of, of the lamb. Do you understand? Amen? All right, so we have the Passover. Is that correct? Now, after they, that happened, the Egyptians basically said, leave. They gave them money. They gave them whatever they needed, and they left. Now, think about this. Imagine the greatest, most powerful country. You're going to be here for a while, so it's okay. Just kind of, all right, good, good. Thanks, Kate. Um, but it'll, it'll make sense, hopefully, in, in, in just a bit. Um, so this greatest country allows two men free work of their slaves to leave. Now, how long do you think it took them before they decided, you know, that was probably a bad idea? Right, yeah, right. The next day, Monday, right, when it was time to go to work and two million people weren't there to do it, it eventually said, we need to uh, get these guys back. So what did they do? They went after them, isn't that correct? And where did they catch up with them at? The Red Sea. They went to the sea, and just before they, they, they look, and they go, oh, no, we're against the sea here, and, and here comes the greatest, powerful, most powerful military in the world. We're going to die. What are we going to do? And Moses is like, Lord, what are we going to do? And, 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 and in the Scripture, if you read it this afternoon, it's awesome. Basically, God goes, stop talking, Moses, and go forward. And he literally, they go, and they go into the water. Like, what do you mean, go to the sea? Yeah. So he takes a step into the sea, and all of a sudden the sea just goes, whoo, it opens right up. And the two million people went, okay. <laughs> so they, they were so scared of the Egyptians that they thought it was a good idea to walk through a sea. Because I'll tell you right now, if you went to, to Lake Cadillac here and it opened right up, not a whole lot of you would be like, hey, it's like the Israelite days. And you go running around in the middle of the lake, Right? But they did. They went right through that sea. You know why they went through that sea? Because above them was a cloud that was going forward. And they knew they wanted to be only where God was at. And so after they went through that sea, the the Egyptians said, oh, 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 follow them. Let's go. So they follow them. And probably the last thing they see, the most scariest thing on the planet was a man with a stick going, boop, because that Red Sea just closed up and the, the largest military on the planet was destroyed. Not a bullet fired, not a sword sashayed, nothing. Gone. Isn't that right? Okay. So I want you to come up here. So they went through the Red Sea. Come on up. This good. All right, next text. Um, who has Exodus 15, 17? Exodus 15, 17. Go ahead, nice and loud. Thank you. Ah, so there's this conversation in Exodus that says, hey, come to the mountain. This is where the sanctuary is at, which is really intriguing. So apparently they, uh, we have the Passover lamb here. We have them going through the Red Sea. And then what, you guys know the story, after they did that, where did they go after the Red Sea? They went to Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai must have been God's mountain. You follow that logic? And he says the sanctuary was on this mountain. 
Does anybody know some of the things that were in the sanctuary? Right now when we talk sanctuary, we kind of look around and see lights and a piano and things like that. But in the biblical sanctuary, what things were in the sanctuary? Ah, Yeah, we had in the holy place, we had two places, right? We had what? Right, so the courtyard wasn't the sanctuary, it was outside, but it was part of it. But the sanctuary, inside of it, you have the holy place, most holy place. What was in the holy place? Table of showbread, altar of incense, and a candlestick. Now that candlestick, it, what did it look like? Yep, there's seven of them. They actually looked like branches, and then what was it? It was on, it was on fire, right? See, those things were in the, in the holy place. It wasn't the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant. Yes, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. Later on, there was actually a Aaron's rod, and there's some manna in there, but that's what you have, right? But God says, hey, come to this mountain, which is my sanctuary. Now, let's look uh, to Exodus 24, verse 4. Who had that? Let's read that. Oh, excellent. So we have Exodus 24, verse 4, saying when Moses came to the mountain, he actually built an altar. So we have an altar. Come on up. Okay. So we have an altar that's on the altar. You can stand up here. That's fine. Good. Uh, let's go to who has Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Yeah, okay, go ahead, Andy. Ah, so going up. So they ate and drank. Do you know what else was on this table of showbread? There's actually eating utensils on the table of showbread. So here we have. There they are on the mountain. You see them. They're eating. They're drinking in the presence of God. Very interesting. Now we also have, one, what's the other thing that we had? There's one more thing over here. The candle, right? Yeah. Uh, who's got Exodus 3, verses 1 and 2? Okay, Sam. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, now Acts 7 tells us that Horeb actually is just another name of Sinai, but here you have a bush that's on fire. Boy, sounds like the candlestick to me. Come on up. So you see these things that are on the mountains. Does that make sense? And then he says, come on up further to get the Ten Commandments. Who's got Exodus 24, verse 12? Okay. Okay.
Okay, so now, as you got further up the mountain, he actually says, come up farther, and I will give you the tables of stone. Now, in the context of Exodus 24, if you have your Bibles, go there. You can look at that. Let's look at that again. Um, It was already read verses 9 through 11 and verse 12. What's really intriguing about the stone is the color of it. Does anybody know what color sapphire is? Blue. Okay, Exodus 24. We're going to read verse 10. They saw... The God of Israel, under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Isn't that interesting? And then he did not stretch out his hands against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. Now, two things. One... Uh, in the context, if you just read that, you'd say, what stone? Well, the only stone I'm reading in this text is the sapphire stone. But actually in the Hebrew, is the tables of, the, of the, the stone. So it's actually referring to this blue stone. It's kind of interesting. And he says, come get them. So as you're seeing here, are you seeing, by the way, thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. Are you seeing a path that these Israelites are taking? They have Passover, they get baptized through the sea. By the way, in the courtyard, you had, what was the first thing in the courtyard? The altar of sacrifice, which you would sacrifice the lamb on. And then was the bronze laver, which also in Scripture is called the bronze sea. And as they continue on, God says, come on up here, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. Very interesting stuff. Now, we have the Ten Commandments, which uh, are part of something really intriguing. Who's got Ezekiel 1, verses 26 through 28? Peyton has that. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Okay, so what was the throne made out of? Sapphire stone. Sapphire stone. So what color is his throne? Blue. I don't know if this is interesting to you, but this is very interesting to me. So God says, come take this law. It sounds as if it's coming out of his throne. Now, have you ever heard anyone say the law is done away with? Man, I really don't want to do that. I think that's a bad idea because I definitely don't want to get rid of the throne. Amen? I don't want to get rid of the king. Now, what's also intriguing, who's got Daniel 7 verse 9? Go ahead, Moriah. Ah, so he says his throne has what on the end? Wheels. Did you know that God's throne has wheels? He's mobile. 
Isn't that cool? I think that's fantastic. When I first found that, I was like, no, really? Because when you, you think about, I, I, I got to believe, but I'm going to be honest with you. I used to think that God sat in some spot somewhere in the universe, and he just sat there. And he just was waiting for us to somehow join him. But apparently his throne has wheels, and they're on fire. That's interesting. You ever hear a story where a chariot shows up in fire? Picks somebody up? That's interesting. We even know it. We sing about it. We don't realize it. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forward to carry me home. We're really, people know this to be true. God's coming to get us on his throne in all his glory because he's mobile. God can come to you to get you. Amen? And here's what God is saying is, I want to be with you and I'm going to save you out of your slavery and I'm of sin and of bondage, and I'm going to bring you to me. And can you see him bringing the children of Israel to him? This is powerful. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. Who's got it? Noah's got it. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. Again, this isn't something like I had vegetalink sandwiches and had a weird dream, and I'm throwing something at you. This is clearly in Scripture. <laughs> clearly in Scripture. Okay, so according to 1 Corinthians 10, this is Paul speaking, he said that there was a rock that actually followed them in the desert, and then it says they actually drank from this rock, and then what does he say at the end? Who was the rock? He says the rock was Christ. Now, do we know of a story in the Bible where they actually drank from a rock? Who has Exodus 17, verses 5 through 7? All right, now, now here's, here's what I want you to think about. When God told two million people to leave, now we talked about Oshkosh earlier, did you do a little bit of planning to go to Oshkosh? Did, how many vehicles did you take to go to Oshkosh? Three? Did you have trailers? Yeah, you had trailers. I mean, this is a major thing. Uh, in Egypt, they just left, basically. They didn't have, like, Myers and Walmart or anything. They just left. Now, process this. As you're walking across the desert, there's a couple of things that you got to have, right? Food, water, and shelter. And so that cloud, they cover them during the day so they didn't get massive sunburn. At night, when they needed heat, turned into a pillar of fire. So they had light and a heat source. God thinks of everything. There's no reason to worry. He'll take care of you. Amen? 
So well, I'm hungry. That's okay. I'll give you angel food. And they just drop water, just food right out of the sky. Manna, they, what is it, is what they called it. But David in Psalms says it was angel food. So they were sharing their meals. And then they said, well, we're thirsty. We're dying of thirst here. God says, come to Horeb, which Horeb again is Sinai. And he says, here's what I need you to do. I want you to strike the rock and water's going to come out of it. That's exactly what happened. To such an extent, the Amalekites were like, what, we got water? And they wanted to come and defeat the children of Israel so that they could have this water source, which makes total sense. They needed water too. I mean, this wasn't a little gush, like a little trickle that you'd fill your little Yeti bottle with. This is a massive source of water that, that took care of millions of people. And there was such an extent that they fought, and there was a war. And then what Moses does, which is really interesting, is, is God says, come here, put your hands, oh, come over here, and I, I want you to do this. I want you to put your hands on the rock. And as long as you keep your hands on the rock, you're going to win. What he found out is when his hands came off the rock, they started losing, so he had people that were pro- literally propping his hands on this rock so they could win. It's an amazing story. And in in Exodus 17, verses 15 and 16, I think you're going to read that, Andy. Now, (laughs) this is crazy. He's actually, I mean, there's, there's interaction here between God and his people. Moses is putting his hands on the throne, and they're winning. And that's how they defeat the, the Amalekites. If you've got battles in your life this morning, give them over the Lord. He'll defeat them. He wants to defeat them. And he wants you to, he'll use you to do it. Now, you say, now come on. Now you've got water coming out of the rock. You're saying the rock is Christ. Again, the Bible clearly teaches this. Who's got Revelation 22, verse 1? Where's the water coming out of? Throne of God and of the Lamb, who is? This is amazing stuff. Thy way is in the sanctuary. Now, why does God make them a sanctuary? Who's got Exodus 25, verse 8? Exodus 25, verse 8. Why did he make the sanctuary? He made you a sanctuary because he wants to dwell with What does dwell mean? He wants, yeah, he wants to be with you. I want you to understand, when you come to church and you come into the sanctuary, it is because the Almighty God wants to be with you. And you might say, oh, I don't know if I... Sometimes, and I'm just being real, sometimes there, there might be weeks where, where you or maybe, I, and I know I, where I come to church and I go, I don't feel like I should be here. I've had a rough week. I wasn't really good this week. And you come in and you do it because it's a routine and you're like, oh man, I don't know. But God Almighty wants to come to you, wants to dwell with you. And what he wants to do is he actually wants to bring you to him. He wants to bring you out of the pit that maybe you fell into this week because he loves you and he died to save you. I have a five-year-old daughter. When she's crying and she comes running to me, I pick her up and I bring her to me. 
And that's what God wants to do. Now, this way that's in the sanctuary wasn't just for the Israelites. And by the way, when you come to the Lord, you give Him your heart, you are like a child of Israel. But this, and this, is, this, is, this is where it gets really amazing. This is where the story gets really crazy. Because if thy way is in the sanctuary, you're going to see the plan of salvation here. Who is on the throne? God is on the throne, right? We said it's the throne, the Lamb, Jesus is on the throne. And here He is, and He wants to reach you. And you need Jesus in your life. Well, let me show you what Jesus does. Jesus loved you so much that He could not stand the distance. So here's what He does. He sees you in bondage. He knows where you're at, Ovi. And he says, I love you, and I've died to save you. And he wants you to come with him. So here's what he does. He gets off the throne, and he's coming to minister. So what does Jesus do? He comes, and we celebrate it. He comes, and he's born in a manger. And what does he do? He lives a perfect life for you. By the way, these things in the holy place represent some things. We have the bread, which represents the word of God. We have the the altar of incense, which represents prayer. And then we have that light, which we read earlier, as which is Christian service, which is witnessing. So God comes down. He he becomes man. he, He lives a perfect life. And then what does he do? He goes down and gets baptized. Amen? Are you seeing this? And after he gets baptized, he's doing his ministry. And what does he do? He comes to the cross, and as the Lamb of God, he is crucified. And Tracy, as you need Jesus, he meets you right here, bondage in sin, and says, I came off the throne to get you. Amen? Now there's this mindset out here that the cross is all that matters in life. Now, hear me as I, as I explain this. Jesus didn't come to get you to leave you right here. So as the Lamb of God, He dies to save you. And then He takes your hand and He says, Now, now that you've taken me... By the way, give me your hand. No, this is good. Your hands are very warm, by the way. This is wonderful. (laughs) There is a biblical principle here. God says this, no one will be able to snatch you from my hand. No one will take you away from me. So when God locks onto you, you're good. And when God meets you in your sin, he says, I died to save you. Do you want me in your heart forever? And your answer is, then the first logical step is baptism. Doesn't that make sense? Well, yeah, I should get baptized. I want to die because what I've done is just been a slave. And I want you to live for me, Jesus. He says, that's fantastic. Now, let me explain to you what life is like as a Christian because we're going to go home. But this is what life looks like. We talk to each other, right? I'm going to talk to you through my word. And I want you to listen to me through prayer. We're going we're to have that conversation. 
And I want you to be a light to share with everyone else because there might be more people who are in bondage and they want to come to heaven as well. Amen? Because the goal is to go home. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 2. It also references in Revelation 20. It says, we actually are going to reign with him. So he takes your hand. He takes everyone's hand and says, come. This is the goal, to go as high as possible. I hear people talk about, you know, oh, that's just legalism, talking about always wanting to get holier and holier. No, that's the natural result of grabbing his hand. He don't want you to be a slave anymore. He wants you to be what you were always designed to be, sons and daughters of the king. And you dwell in the palace of the Most High. Amen? Does this make sense? This is what Jesus did when he showed up as a baby and as a, in a manger, vulnerable. He came to be like you so you could be like him. I hear, as an Adventist, I hear growing up, you know, oh, you know, we're so excited, or why are we so interested in doctrine? Why do we got to talk about doctrine? Brothers and sisters, the sanctuary doctrine is amazing. And when you understand what Jesus has done for you and what he has done for everyone for thousands of years, for all eternity, man, you not only want to understand it, you want to proclaim it. Amen? This is the God we serve. This is our Jesus. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I don't mean, you guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. I want to just close by telling you this. I personally believe that God has done all the work. He's gone all in. He's done all the work and he couldn't make it easier. He stands here and just says, will you just hold my hand? This is not difficult. We make it a lot more difficult than it can be. But he literally just says, do you want to hold my hand? Because I will take you away from all of the sin and darkness that you have here in your life. And I'll give you something pure and holy and true. And I will use you to change the lives of others. Will you take my hand? Because I'm going to take you home. Amen? I'm going to take you home. And when you celebrate Christmas this year, just remember, we're just celebrating when Jesus showed up and said, I'm taking you home. Amen? There might be somebody here this this morning that I just just want to make this, this call. Maybe there's someone here this morning that has said, you know what? I get it. I want to take his hand. I do. I haven't been walking with him, and I want to take his hand, and maybe you've, you want to make that decision this morning. If you do, I just, I want to give you that, give you that opportunity. Come on up.
come on up. I want to pray with you. No pressure. You couldn't make it any easier. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to do that? You may say, well, I, I don't, there's a lot of people watching. I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's billions of people watching. All of heaven is watching. And they're all praying that you would do that. So if you would, come on up. There might be some people here this morning that are saying, you know what? I've let go of his hand. I've taken his hand. I've I've been, in bapti- I've been baptized. I've, I walked into the sanctuary, but I've walked out. But I want to take his hand again. Okay. I'm going to ask you to stand. I, I'm actually standing myself. I just want to throw that out there. Know this, when you hold on to his hand, he won't let go of you. That's his commitment. Here's my prayer, and maybe you have this one as well. God, please let me not to let go. God, please just help me not to fight you. I'm sorry the times that I've just said, let go of my hand. And like a gentleman, you've done that. But I don't ever want to do that again. Take me home where I belong. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your beautiful sanctuary where you have painted the way of salvation, not just for Israel, but for us today. I pray for those that want that with me that we will hold on to your hand and never let go. And Lord, may we enjoy the journey as you take us home. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.